From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, July 19th, the year 2017, the week of the Open Championship, which is now the Open. Say it right, Ryan. Uh, say it right, Ryan Ballinger, or else the uh, the RNA will scorn you. Um, <laughs> joined by Ryan, uh, uh, sorry, joined by Ryan Ballinger, as always from uh, Yahoo's Devil Ball Golf Blog and the Golf News Net. Um, you were away the last couple weeks, and I'm wondering. I talked on the show previously about how the Lexi Thompson ruling was so big um, when I was away that. You know, it, it, it jarred me even on vacation. Did the, the shockwaves from the Bryson DeChambeau win at the Deer get all the way to Vegas and the Grand Canyon? <laughs> uh, I was kind of amazed that he pulled it out. I, I recommended him in our, our fantasy picks, our, our betting picks each week uh, that we do, and recommended him for the, the Deer. I thought, oh, well, he'd be probably thrilled with the top five in a field that is a little bit weaker, but for him to pull it out, I'm Consider me impressed. That was uh, that was pretty gutsy the way that he finished it off and picked up his first PGA Tour win. Now he's in the Open, and uh, I, I can't say he's not a hot hand. I mean, he's been playing really good golf for a month, so it's been quite a turnaround for DeChambeau, who whose season, whose career really or PGA Tour status seemed in doubt, but less than a month ago. Yeah, and I mean, look, I've I've said it on the record, and I've been pretty clear about it, that I thought he was a chronic overthinker. I thought that he was hurting himself by the way that he played and was way too analytical. But something worked. He shot thirty on the inward nine. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's crazy. He was a little streaky. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he would admit to that. He had a great finish in Puerto Rico. And that was really his best finish of the year. The point that was a, a good finish too. That was kind of a streaky finish as well. So maybe that's what he's prone to. Maybe that's what he's going to be. But uh, he's still evolving as a golfer, still evolving as a person and a competitor. And and over time, we'll find out who he is. But to get a win on the board, uh, first year on the PGA Tour with with full status, that's a big deal. Uh, what's your thoughts coming into this week? You know, since since we've last talked, we've had the the other golf earthquake, which was the Jordan Spieth hold bunker shot at Hartford. Um, you know, we've seen uh, a bunch of okay finishes, good finishes, nothing obviously like Hartford. Brooks Kepke gets that first major at Aaron Hills, and here we are at Birkdale, a golf course that's a from from everything I've read. Um, and you know, second shot golf course, ball strikers golf short, uh, golf course, and and here we are now in what could be a wide open field, a field, although the weather uh, could impact that. What's your overall take coming into this week? I think this is going to be a difficult scoring week. I think that the forecast for wind, if it manifests itself, is going to make this a maybe an over par winning championship score for a par seventy course. That, that, that I mean, it's just hard to overcome that kind of wind with just two par fives. And I get the sense that this is a pretty difficult-to-predict championship in that, one, we've got weather coming. Two, for the first time in really four or five years, we don't have someone that we can turn to and say, yes, they are playing like the world number one going into a major, and we should expect them to win. We've got a lot of guys who have tremendous talent. Many of them have one or two major championships, in Rory's case, four, and he's got the most. But none of them really are playing in a way where they're playing at their best golf. Hey, don't and discount Phil. You left Phil out of the most majors talk. <laughs> well, <laughs> we haven't won 
one is exactly four years. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think we got to hold you off that list. But yeah. Said, he's done this. And yeah. He's close, and there aren't too many people in this field uh, that have won an Open Championship in recent memory that you would think they could do it again this week. And I, I think Phil Mickelson is one of those guys that if he doesn't, to your point earlier about DeChambeau, if, if, if you don't overthink it, and you just step up and you play what you intend to play, regardless of the weather, regardless of the situation. Uh, I, I think he still has the talent, certainly, to win a major championship. And this is the old guy major. Uh, at least in the last six years, the average winner, the age, has been 10 years older than the other majors combined. My, so, yeah. In, the, in that sense, uh, maybe, maybe we should look to, toward older players. Maybe we shouldn't be thinking about the younger set as the guys who are most likely to prevail. My boss ran a stat by me today that, that, that he read, and I believe he's right on this, that in the last 20 years of the Open Championship, we've had only three winners who were under 30 at the time that they won. Uh, I guess I would guess Tiger is two of them, and the other is Rory, right? No, uh, uh, sorry, three people. Sorry, three people. Okay, three people. Uh, Tiger, Rory, and uh, I think it's David Duval. I think he's the other. Yeah, Duval, Duval would probably be twenty-nine when he. Yeah. Won. So that would yeah that would make oh Justin Leonard. He would be exactly twenty. Okay, years, yeah. Twenty-one. Right. Okay, so it's four. It's a fascinating stat, though. I mean, it's really, you know, this has not been the young gun, you know, major. This has not been the Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, etc. major. I would argue that, you know, some people will say Spieth's, you know, shown the best form of late with the whole lot and stuff. He struggled on that whole back nine. It's not like he was, you know, swimming in, you know, a gorgeous daylight that day. I could argue the guy who's playing the best golf right now is actually Daniel Berger. Uh, he gave Spieth a run for his money in Hartford. He tried to, to chase down DeChambeau and um, uh, uh, Patrick Rogers last week. Um, he, he he arguably is playing the best golf of anyone. Anyone in Memphis. I mean, he's yeah. playing pretty good, pretty good golf since June. So, And he doesn't necessarily come to the front of your brain when you think about the guys who are in the young set, that 2011 class that are playing world-class golf because he's not in the top 10 or 15 in the world, but getting there, and he's racking up these points every week on the world ranking, and he's racking up confidence because he may not necessarily win every time he gets there, but he gets there, and I think Berger is the kind of guy that he will learn a lot by getting there and getting into contention, and then over time, he'll figure out how to win or bigger tournaments on bigger stages. I don't consider him necessarily the best wind player in the world, but when you consider that he almost took down Patrick Harrington at that Honda Classic where the wind was ridiculous, yeah, uh, maybe maybe he can play in the wind. We just don't know. It. Yeah, um, and, and 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 Xander Shuffle, who obviously won the Greenbrier, and I think I've botched his last name. Uh, what's the correct pronunciation of his last name? I can't get it right. I keep I keep seeing Shuffle when I see his name, and I know it's not right. What is the right pronunciation of his last name? Shoffley. Shoffley. There we go. One day I'll get this right, and hopefully I'll do it before I have him on my show, or else I'm going to really embarrass myself. Um, but, you know, he's a class of 2011 guy, which I had no idea. That that 2011 class is deeper than we think, uh, which is just yeah. which is just eerie. What do you make of the RNA making the 10th fairway if you're playing the 9th hole and turn a lot of bounds? 
I'm not a big fan of this solely not because if the... I mean, I, I, yeah. Oh, hold on, Jeremy. Are you okay, baby? Life of uh, kids, that. folks. <laughs> so we talked with Ryan Bounge here on Teeing It Up. Oh, hold on, hold on. It's, is it okay if I can I put her in front of the TV for a second and just edit out, out that part and I'll answer the question about the endowment? <laughs> you got it. I'll pause it. Okay. Sorry. All right. She's trolled away. Life of life of kids with Ryan Boundy on teeing it up. Um, I may keep that in. That was actually pretty cute. Um, to be totally honest, it shows that it's real. And it shows that this is not manufactured radio, that, that we're totally real life. My thing about that is what if the wind's whipping and a ball naturally ends up in the 10th? Fairway, you can't call it out of bounds, can you? I mean, that's... Yeah, and you can't change it in the tournament either. It's not, I mean, once you've declared the rule, you don't change the rule. So is it like changing par? Can you say one day that the 10th fairway is fine because it's blowing 40 miles per hour that day. I, and what if the wind changes? What if it's 40 miles per hour for three hours and you could then play the, the fairway is fine for those three hours and then it's, and then it's not windy and like, you know, the other guys can play anyway and they still get the advantage because you can't change the rules mid-round? I don't know, but I, I don't like the idea of playing the floor as lava with a major championship. So I, I guess that's my concern is that Yes, the design allows for this to happen, but you can go play up 10, but that's also risky because if you fail, then you're going to put a big score into play. So I, I don't like the idea of just trying to cut off a route just because you don't like it. Uh, you you kind of have to accept that this is the way the golf course could play and that there are consequences for that. Yeah. Um you know, speaking of rules, we have John Rahm, and I don't think you want to talk about a ruling, and I don't think I want to talk about a ruling, so let's talk about everything else that happened at the Irish Open, uh, which was an insanely dominant victory. Um, you know, is this really about anger management for him? Because he lost his temper at the U.S. Open, he lost his control, he claims he's been working with a therapist on it. Is that all that's separating John Rahm from superstardom? I kind of get that feeling. I feel like for him, getting off to a good start in a tournament is the most important thing for him. He's got his swing is fine, his mechanics are fine, he's a good putter, he's got a great short game, hits the ball long and straight, all of those things. But when he gets off kilter is when he doesn't get off to the start he anticipates or plays the way he expects. And then all of a sudden, cuss words come out, the club throwing happens, kicking the bag and all that stuff that gets him distracted from what his talent can do. And so I think for him, for, for anybody in the top ten of the world, the draw is the most important to him. Because if he gets on the right side of the draw and plays an easier golf course, then he has the opportunity to get out to a good start, to look up at the board and go, okay, things are fine, or things are great. Instead of being on the bad side of the draw and going, oh, there's no way I can get to get to that today and be in a sour mood before anything ever starts. So I, for him, yeah, I think it is just mental maturation of this, this is how I handle when I play badly. I will get better at that over time. And when I can do that, when I can not lose my mind when I'm playing poorly, I can win with my B stuff because I am that good. I am a top 10 player. And I, I think that might take a little bit of time for him to realize Talking about Ryan Ballinger here on Teeing It Up. Um, one, uh, it, it, it's interesting that we talk about um, 
major winners, and nobody's talking about Sergio or Brooks Kepka to win this week, and we're in this stretch of seven straight first-time winners, some of them being the, the, the Dustins and the Days and the Sergios, who I think were expected, and then you've got some guys in there who I don't think people quite expected, like a Danny Willett. Um, when you look at Sergio, I think for him now he's got the load off. It's just will the game be sharp enough? The game hasn't been sharp enough. I have no idea what to expect from to expect from Brooks Kepka this week. But Dustin Johnson has not been the same golfer since he fell down the stairs. And yeah. um, a, it's a shame. But b, uh, I don't know what to expect out of Dustin. And if the and for so many of these guys, Justin Thomas is another who are high ball hitters. You know. Rory falls into the same category. If the wind blows, those are not the guys you want to pick. Maybe his fade will work better uh, for for DJ, but I'm not sure what to think of these high ball launchers. I mean, I'm, I tend to think if you hit the ball high, you have a problem because you're just not able to keep the ball down as easily. It does. It makes you uncomfortable. And I think the same thing is true if you can't work the ball left to right and right to left because you're playing oftentimes at this golf course into a crosswind. So you're going to have to be comfortable playing to either ride it or to fight, to fight against it. And I think it's probably easier for these guys to, to play into it, to hit into the wind and just know that the wind's going to hold it someplace as opposed to trying to ride it the whole way. So that means you've got to be able to work it. And, I, again, if you're not comfortable hitting that shot or you hit the ball high and you know you're just naturally going to be more susceptible to the wind, that's a problem. And, and so I think about those guys, like you mentioned, high ball hitters, and you go, how are they ever going to be able to get around this golf course if the wind blows? And if it doesn't manifest itself and the weather report is a lie, all right, well, then fine, they can play great. But I'm skeptical of any player that doesn't feel comfortable moving the ball both ways and hits it high. And if you're, oh, I mean, that's, that's Rory McIlroy, basically. So I don't think about his chances as being very good, and I don't think about Justin Thomas as being all that good. Uh, we interrupt the analysis part of this podcast to ask you two very important questions, Ryan Ballinger. Number one, will you be up at 1.30 a.m. tonight? I'm going to try. Uh, I can't make any promises. You know, two kids under, two kids under five, it's kind of tough to... <laughs> stay awake really past 10 o'clock at night sometimes. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll try for 1.30, or maybe I'll take a cat nap between 11 and 1.30 and get up. Usually what I like to do, in the old days, I would stay up. Right. Stay up all night and then watch for like an hour and go to bed. Now I'll probably take a cat nap, get up, watch an hour, go to bed, and then I'll be up at like 5 or 6 a.m. anyway with the kids. So at least I can watch a little bit sooner. So I still catch the same amount of golf, as I used to, it's just it's different intervals. Uh, if you're up at 1.30, I'll be listening to Mike Tirico and Justin Leonard, who get the uh, first shift of Golf Channel's 15 and a half uh, sorry, 14 and a half hours uh, tonight um, on Golf Channel. Uh, the second non-analysis question is your best meal you had on your trip was? That's a great question. Um, that's some good ones. We went to this place called the Lazy Dog in uh, in the Southern Strip, which was very good. Went to a place in the Golden Nugget called the Grotto, which was a, uh, an Italian place. So it was very, very good. But I would say number one uh, was in the MGM Grand at uh, the Wolfgang Puck Restaurant. His food was 
fantastic, and I had the best pizza I may have ever had in my life there. Wow. So I, I'm going to have to go with Wolfgang Puck. Okay. And uh, y- you have traveled some, so that says something uh, when you call that definitively the best pizza. Um, we haven't talked. No, we did talk since Tiger's Issues. Um, you think we see Tiger at the at uh, Hero? You know, he's, he's gone through this. Um, I don't know. I, it's, I feel like... It's weird. It's his event. He lives down there. Like he's got to come back into public life, right? I mean, if yeah. he's going to do that. If he's not gonna it's going to be the President's Cup, though, won't it? He, he told Stricker he wants to be the assistant captain still. It, it, yeah, yeah, I said that. And, I mean, I take him at that word, but can he? I mean, if he's... If he's not confident enough to do something before that, because obviously he doesn't want to be the distraction the week of the President's Cup, right? He doesn't want to go yeah. into there having not addressed these issues in some kind of news conference or some kind of substantive way. And then the questions leading into the entire thing are, what's up with Tiger? How are you? What's, what's going through this process like? What, where are you with your legal problem? All of those things. So... Part of me says, you know, sure, President's Cup's fine, but he's got to do something before that. And I don't know when that opportunity for him might be unless he just calls a press conference over though, which he, he could very well do. Well, well, here's here's my thought on that, Ryan, which is twofold. Number one, the response by and large, especially recently, has been all positive. Has been, we hope the best for Tiger. We're supporting Tiger. You've seen all these guys reach out to him. So I think that the assimilation back would not be how did you let us down? It would be more how are you and 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 and, and how are things. So it's a it, it it's a more positive first next step I think than after the last scandal. Number two, I think he's got an opening in in, in the off week in the FedEx Cup, where he cannot upstage anything, sit down with a friendly interview, take someone like a Sands or a Tom Rinaldi or Harrig or whoever, and I think if he goes through that um, pathway and gets all those questions out of the way, answers everything honestly, then come the President's Cup, he can be a vice captain. And look, he 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 uttered what? He answered two questions the whole week of the Ryder Cup last year, I think. And and they were both in the victory press conference. So I don't think he needs... I don't think there's pressure to talk as much as there will be um, this time around, obviously, because he gave the interview to Burko about uh, Palmer dying, and then I think he, he answered two questions during the... Victory Press Conference. Obviously, there's more interest right. this time, but I think that they can safely keep him out of the way um, here yeah. if if yeah, I mean, if he steps out in front the week before. Yeah. yeah, so that's an option they have. Um, who do you like this week? Who's your winner? Uh, and I good luck. Have, I don't have a passion <laughs> for a winner. Um, no, I don't have a passion for a winner either. I want to say Rom or Ricky, but I, I don't feel comfortable with either of those. I think Ricky, but he's not a closer. I like Rom, but he's not a starter. <laughs> I, like, I like Fleetwood. He's um, home. He's a lot of pressure. Teacher, and he's played some of the best golf on the planet the last 18 months. So I don't, I just don't know what the right answer is. But I, I think that there's a decent set of contenders out there that you can like. That you, if you're a betting man, you get decent odds on. So. Yeah, if you kind of hover in that twenty to you know plus you know twenty to thirty to one range, you think about again Rom, Fleetwood, Fowler, Justin Rose, maybe because yeah, you know, he's a great ball striker and had that incredible finish here in in nineteen ninety eight, and um, I 
yeah, I, I can think of like five or six guys who could win this really easily that are not in the top ten in the world. No. And I can think of two or three guys that I feel really comfortable with that are not that are in the top ten in the world, and I look at seven or eight of them and go, well, there's something terribly wrong with all of them for some reason, even though they're deeply talented, they're either major winners or have been close, and they just haven't done it yet. Uh, or they're right now in a form where they just can't, you can't be relied upon because they're doing something weak. Either, you know, Dustin Johnson's not playing well. Jordan Spieth is playing well but scraping by. Uh, Alex Noren has disappeared. Henrik Stenson's disappeared. You can kind of go down the line of guys where you're like, all right, well. Yep, Justin Thomas, except for the 63 on Saturday at the U.S. Open. You just, just, there's just no consistency at this point. You go to Jason Day and Justin Thomas. I mean, keep going down the line. Do any of those guys make you feel really warm and fuzzy about winning the jug? And then, then remember the fact that this is a major for the old guys. And you go, wait, none of them are old. But Justin or Justin Rose is kind of old now, so maybe he'll win. And and then you kind of that's where I settle on is all right. Ricky Fowler's my young guy. Justin Rose is my old guy, and Tommy Fleetwood's my native guy. Let let's see how that goes. Uh, and it sounds like your kids don't have an answer for you either because they're up uh pawning for you. Apparently, I can hear in the background. Um, it's going to be a weird week. I totally think that we could have a no-name European hop up on this leaderboard. Uh, I think we could have a no-name American, you know, somebody like a Steve Stricker, I don't think the conditions are going to be in his favor, but I could totally see him, because he's playing some good golf, I could see him fly up there. He for fourth last year, I mean, he's still playing well, he he contended at the deer, I mean, that's crazy, he's back toward the top. And he had a hot round, he shot 64, he would have been in the playoff, or, no, he wound up finishing, was he one out of the playoff, or two out of the playoff, I think he was two out of the playoff. He was two, but yeah. Yeah. For a 51-year-old man, that's outrageous. Crazy. Ryan Ballinger, thanks as always for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks, Jeremy. Enjoy the Open, everybody. We'll see you next week.